The rest of you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Turn on your Bible app, and we will be in Psalm 16 this morning. As you turn there, I have a few important pieces of information. Number one, I see a lot of new faces here today. We're so thankful that you're here. We would love for you to download our church app and just have the information that's so vital to what's happening in the life of our church. Also, if you are new or new-ish, you came on a great Sunday because we have our newcomers reception immediately after the service we call Next. And it is a great place to connect with some other people, learn a bit more about the vision and values of Redemption Hill. And it all happens in 20 minutes. We'll give you a snack, we'll say what's up, we'll let you connect, and then we'll let you get out of here to go grab lunch and be on your day. So if you're new, please stick around for that. It's happening in the back corner of the lobby. And then a couple couple of other things. Number one, uh, our members need to know that our members meeting is happening tonight at Hope Fellowship Church in Cambridge, 430. If you're not yet a member, but you're like, hey, I like this place. I think I might stick around. Everyone is welcome to attend. It's happening at 430 uh, tonight. And then next Saturday is our Thanksgiving meal giveaway, all right? You've been hearing about this for the past couple of weeks. Uh, Many of you have probably thought, I'm going to serve. I'll be there. And many of you, if you're honestly like Pastor Tanner, have not signed up to serve yet. And what that What that does is it puts undue stress on our amazing event leader named Rebecca D'Souza, right? So if you're planning to serve, show her some love and sign up today so she can organize all of our teams that are going to be uh, stuffing the Thanksgiving bags and distributing them to uh, over 180 people and families across Medford, one of the greatest ways we serve our city in a practical way. So sign up today, give uh, to donate to a meal. And then, and then the last two things that kind of go together. Uh, we have a women's equip event happening on December 2nd and a men's equip event happening on December 9th, the men's breakfast. So for both of these opportunities, they are online, they are on the app, register so we have lots of food for you. All right, we got it? We good? Amen? Amen, Amen. great. All right, so um, let's pray one more time and then we're going to jump into God's word. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for our time of worship just to turn our hearts to heaven Uh, to receive from you, uh, to lift your name high. And God, uh, I echo this prayer that Pastor Reddy prayed on Stand Sunday, Lord, that there would be at least one family uh, over the course of maybe the next 12 months that says uh, we're we're ready to adopt. One person, perhaps a single person, that would say, uh, I want to move toward adoption. God, you uh, put those desires in our hearts to care for others, to show compassion specifically to children. Uh, So God, we thank you for the ways that you're moving in the life of this church. And Father, now we ask that you would speak to us through your word that we would receive on this important topic we're going to cover today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, this, this, this past month, we've been in a series that we are simply calling Jesus is the story. And what we mean by that is 
all of Scripture, there are 66 books in the Old and New Testament, and they are all pointing us to Jesus Christ, even the ones, the 39 in the Old, that were written before he arrived. And so we've been journeying through different parts and portions of the Old Testament to see how that all of these stories and all of these truths are pointing us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are going to see that one more time as we cover the topic of addiction. Now, if, if you uh, are, 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 have lived in, in the Boston area for very long, you probably know people who are under the influence of addiction or a loved one who has someone who is under the influence of addiction. And, and as we learn about what's happening in our country, the, the weightiest fact of all of this is that addiction is destroying, destroying lives and death is coming at mind-bending rates. The National Institute of Health would tell us that in 2021, over 80,000 people died from opiate-related overdose. This is four times the number in 2010 and represents a number of more veterans, uh, who, who, people who served in the military, who died in the, the wars of Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. This is a major issue. It is a national crisis, and it hits very close to home in Boston. I can think back to just several years ago when a local organization called Medford Overcoming Addiction held a vigil in our city, and I went to be a part of that. And what was so grievous was that they read the names of the lives who had been lost over the, the past year or years. And, and as these beautiful faces popped up on the screen, you would see the date of their birth and the date of their death. And I couldn't help but just start doing the math. And you would see that these precious lives were cut short at 25 years, 32 years, 19 years, 27 years. We are in the midst of a crisis, and it is time for us to wake up. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to take a stand and to be a resource for the people in our lives that we love, as well as be a resource for our city to share hope and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Because here, here's what we know about our God, all right? I hope you hear this today. Our God hates addiction. And not only does he hate addiction, but he hates it to the point of providing a path out of it. And that's what we're going to look at today. We are going to, to see, I want to share five steps for overcoming addiction in our lives. And before I jump into Psalm 16, I want to say a few things, all right? Number one, 
while we are focused, and I think rightfully so, on substance abuse and the, the, the opioid crisis and the prevalence of over 15 million Americans are uh, abusing alcohol in some form, that substance abuse is, is so prevalent in our nation and local community. We also need to step back and realize that God wants to deal with every form of addiction. He wants us to overcome all addiction that we face, including the more respectable ones, like food addiction and, and, and technology addictions and, and, and our addictions to entertainment and sports and gaming and gambling and food and even caffeine, right? I mean, we know New England, at least half of New England is addicted to Dunkin' Donuts, right? We all are running on Dunkin' around here. And so uh, let, let's be mindful that this is not just for the extreme forms of addiction, but God wants to deal with the subtle addictions or maybe not so subtle addictions that each one of us carry. Let me also add to that list sexual addictions and pornography. And that's why number two, I want to say, let's, let's be responsible listeners here. Because you hear the word addiction, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking drugs, I'm not popping pills, I'm not, I'm not addicted to alcohol, I have a social drink on occasion, I'm not out there getting drunk, addicted to alcohol, and it's like, this is the message for other people, not me. But we are all sinners, we all struggle, we all are prone to the tendencies of a heart that can move very quickly toward addictive behavior. Which then leads me to number three. Say, in his love, God wants to set us free. God, whatever addiction that you're facing, whatever addiction the loved one in your life is facing, God, in his love, wants to set us free. And let's look at his plan from Psalm chapter 16. As I read these words, I want you to hear them. Psalm 16 was not written, by the way, to address the topic of addiction, but this roadmap that we see here from the pen of David gives us a battle plan to overcome addiction in our lives. This is what David wrote. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart also instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. 
my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The first step that we see here from Psalm 16 when it comes to overcoming addiction is that we must first and foremost run to God for help. Run to God for help. I almost, listen, I almost brought a chair up here and, and, and tried to sit in it to share this message because I really want you to think about this as, as a cup of coffee conversation that you can have with any friend. This is the kind of, of, of truth and wisdom that I would share with someone that is battling addiction, no matter the form of addiction. And, and it just so happens that I tried, I actually brought a chair in here and tried to sit down and I was like, I know that's not gonna work because it's not just who I am, all right? So I am standing, but I want you to imagine that I am sitting and you can put these truths into practice for your own counsel and for the counsel of other people. So, so we, we first wanna say, run to God for help. Run to God for help. We need to get real about what we are facing because addiction is a nasty, life-taking reality. Ed Welch says this about addiction. Addiction is bondage. We can just stop right there. Addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance, that means change, and leading to further estrangement from God and also people. And so what Welch is saying is that addiction brings a bondage. In other words, we are chained to this substance or this activity to the point that we no longer control it, but it controls us. And it begins to speak such irrational thoughts to our minds that we begin to believe that we become uh, in, in such a state that truth doesn't get through, that this ir irrationality defends us from the truth that we need that will set us free. And it also estranges us from other people. Listen, addiction loves to isolate. It, it loves to operate in the shadows and in the darkness so that in our addiction, because of our shame and our guilt and all of the things that are underneath that addiction, we say, I can't bring this to anyone. I can't bring it to the people in my life that love me so much. I don't even want to bring it to God. And yet this is exactly what we must do. We must run to God because God has the power to set us free. Look at, what, look at what David says here. This psalm was written as a psalm of trust. Perhaps he penned these words as King Saul was trying to hunt him down and to take out his life. He says to God in verse one, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This word for God is El, E-L, uh, the Hebrew word El. It, it refers to God as our strength, might, and power. We even sing about 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. El Gabor, the mighty God, God Almighty. El is his name. God has the power. Whatever addiction you're facing, whatever you go to in the shadows, perhaps even this week, this weekend, God has the power to set you free. And and not only that, God is not only El, the mighty God, but he is, look at verse 2. I say to the Lord, you may see that word Lord is all caps. It refers to God's divine name that he gave Moses, Yahweh or Jehovah. It's God's personal name. So, So we need to understand that God not only has the power to set us free, but he is a personal God who loves us, who knows our name, who wants to walk with us in our addiction and bring us through and out of every addiction. God is both powerful and personal. And it's because David knew this, this powerful God, this omnipotent, all-powerful God, and also this very, very, very personal God that he says, God, you are my refuge. In you, I take refuge. P- please hear this, okay? We, we ultimately, in these five steps, by the way, they're not just principles. They're not just like wise sayings that are going to help you navigate, okay? If we are going to experience true and ultimate and lasting freedom, we find that this happens as God is our refuge. It's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a plan of, of principles, but ultimately it's God is our refuge. God is the one who preserves us when everything is swirling chaotically around us and within us. And then we see the humility of David before God in verse 2. He says what? I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, my God, my personal God, and I have no good apart from you. This is such a statement of humility to say anything that is good in my life, both around me and within me, God, it comes from you. So this, this is a, a statement of, of, of humility and trust and surrender to say that we do not have the power within us to overcome any addiction. But God has the power and his goodness can lead us forward as we move beyond these struggles that we face. And so the first question we have to ask is, do we believe that God has the power to free us or our loved ones out of the addictions that we face? We have to run to him. But what we we find is that God not only wants us to run to him, but he wants us to run to the people around us who can support us as we work our way through the challenges we face. That's why number two, we need to run to others for support. Run to others for support. Look at what David says in verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So so as I'm hanging out with someone and I'm trying to understand their story and to to connect with where they are, I'm first saying, run to God for help. 
But secondly, I'm saying run to others for support. In other words, don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. And then I'm following that up with a very loving statement. Listen, I know from experience you can't do this alone. You need the help of people around you. When David says, as for the saints in the land, he's talking about the people who love God, who followed God's plans, who belonged to God, who were set apart as followers of Yahweh. Sometimes we think saints and we think these like, you know, almost supernatural deific uh, de- uh, human beings who are like the ultimate examples. But saints in the Bible just refers to everyday people who have committed their life to following God. And the wisdom of, of, of living in community is to surround yourself with people who share the same vision and values that you carry so that they are operating from the, the same perspective and can help you in the ways that you need it most. Namely, that they have also run to God for help just like you have run to God for help and now you are doing that together so you can run to them for support. A few years ago, I uh, went to a couple of AA meetings with uh, some friends to support them. And one of my takeaways from that was that part of what makes AA so helpful and so powerful is the power of community. The, the, the people there were incredibly welcoming, incredibly hospitable. It didn't matter if they had been there for weeks or months or if they were new. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone was for everyone. There was a vulnerability and an encouragement and a mutual support about that. And as I was there for the first time, I was just, you know, meeting people and they were welcoming to me and I said, hey, this is my first time. And, and every time they, they said these two words, Keep coming, keep coming, keep, I got four keep comings that day. They didn't know that I wasn't there as someone struggling with alcoholism, but the, the sense of community was built in. Keep coming. We're for you. We're not here to shame you or judge you, but we are here to love you and support you. Keep coming. And, and I get chills just to, as I'm, was what I'm about to share. Listen, the, the church of Jesus Christ, we are a community that says, keep coming. We are a community that doesn't judge people for where they are and pile more guilt and shame on them. But we say we are fellow strugglers and fellow sufferers that want to walk with you in your pain and in your struggle. I mean, listen, I, I think AA can be very valuable, but, but AA is, it, it is necessarily too generic so that it can reach the masses. And so, so the, the first steps are admit that you need the help of a higher power, whoever or whatever that higher power is. Now, AA was written by Christians and it was originally very loaded with Christian vision and language, but then it was more, made more generic again to, to pull in more people and, and that's okay. But my point is this, is that the church is that kind of community where vulnerability and encouragement and mutual support exist, but you get Jesus with all of that. This is who we have to be as a community of faith. 
Sometimes the best thing an addict can do is to find a new set of friends. First Corinthians 14.33 says, bad company corrupts good character. But conversely, Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. We need to run to God for help. We need to run to others for support. And then number three, we need to run away. Run away from the sorrows of empty pursuits. Look at what verse 4 says. We're just walking right through this psalm. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Ed Welch goes on to say in his book that every addiction is ultimately a worship disorder. And what he means by that is we were created to love God above everyone and everything. We were created to worship him, to value him above everyone and everything. But the nature of addiction is that there becomes a substance or activity or you fill in the blank that starts to have the ultimate place in our life that pushes God out of that number one spot if he was there to begin with. And and Welch talks about the descent that we take toward addiction and idolatry. I want you to consider these statements that are so representative of how people dive deeper into addiction. This is how it off, what it often looks like. The first statement we say is, I don't like how I feel. And so, so addiction can often start with just a small moment of discontentment. something's missing. I don't like, I need something to make me happy. Do do you already see the the worship disorder? And then we say, I I want to manage my world my way. We start to follow our own selfish desires and we begin to play the role of God. And then number three, we say, I like this. This is what I have been looking for. The next pill, the next, the next drink, the next needle, it, it, it all seems so alluring and enticing, and we think this will bring me pleasure even if it's just for a short time. And then we find ourselves saying, I want to keep doing this. Addiction usually starts small, and then it grows and grows and grows to the point where we say, number five, this means so much to me. I love it. I need more of it. I want more of it. And this sinful practice and pattern begins to hold a powerful sway in our lives. So then we say, I want more. And not just I want more, I need more. We, be, we, we, we always believe we're in control until we're not. And this pursuit that began with a desire spirals into a dependence both physiologically and emotionally and even spiritually so that we're shocked to find ourselves saying, number seven, you are my God. 
these substances, these activities, they become functional saviors where we, we feel if you take this away, you're taking away not just my pleasure, you're taking away my comfort, you're taking away my security, you're taking away my God. And then we hopefully get to the point where we say, this hurts. I've been betrayed, sin, addiction. It always overpromises and underdelivers. And I, I want it, but I don't want it anymore. Idols are always deceptive in how they work and destructive in their effect. Verse 4 says it so clearly. Those, the, the, the sorrows, the sorrows, the sorrows of those who run after another God keep multiplying. The pain multiplies. The shame multiplies. The loneliness multiplies. The emotional bankruptcy multiplies. The feelings of worthlessness multiply. And sometimes, very sadly, it spirals out of control to the point where we hate life, we hate ourselves, and we're not sure we even want to continue living anymore. All because of this idol that pops up and seems safe at first and then as we get further and further and further we realize that this is this is not a very good god at all but david gives us a a, a pattern of worship here in verses four through six he he's, he shows his resolve and he says i'm not going to offer anything to them or even take their name on my lips. I'm not even going to speak of these idols. This is how far away I want to get from these things that would enslave me and steal my worship away from the one true God. In verse 5, he says, God is my portion. In other words, he's the one I need. He's the one that satisfies me. He's the one that is causing the lines to fall in beautiful places for me. I have an inheritance in God. And because God has given me everything as his child, I don't need to go looking anywhere else for anything else. We run away from the sorrows of empty pursuits. And then number four, and this is where it starts to get even more practical, where we have to be more intentional and disciplined to seek stability through God's constant counsel. I love verses seven and eight. What does David say? I bless the Lord who counsels me. God is the one who counsels us. He is the one who is speaking truth to us. He is the one who is showing us the path forward that leads to life. And even when it says, in the night my heart instructs me, it is a reference to the heart, David's heart being so full of God's wisdom and truth that it, his heart is leading him forward because he's so filled his heart with the truth of God. And then verse 8, perhaps uh, the most important verse in this psalm for fighting and overcoming addiction, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. God is before me. I am living my life in light of who God is. God is the most important one in my life, and I am living for him. And all of my life is, as the, the, the people from church history would say, quorum Deo, before the face of God. This is how we're living our life. God, you're before me. Everything that I do is in light of who you are. You see it all, and I'm glad that you see it all because I want to live my life 
for you. And so we can take some very practical wisdom to say, if we are setting God before us, then that means that we need to take out, even physically put boundaries in our lives that would help us release whatever we're addicted to, to not be before us any longer. And maybe right now, you need to make the decision that I am going to take that alcohol out of my fridge and pour it out. And if you do not have the strength to do that, and, and that's understandable, would you get a trusted friend and say, would you please come over and help me? If, if pornography is the addiction, then set up filtering software on all your devices so that there's a physical boundary that is not keeping these substances and these addictive sources in front of you any longer. But, but even more than the physical boundaries, again, this is, this is mostly a matter of the heart. To set God before us is to say, God, mentally I am focused on you. You, you are in my thoughts. God, the, the emotions of what I am chasing after, what I really love and desire, all of this is flowing from my soul, the depths of my beings, who I am at a heart level. And God, I'm setting you before me. Write down these three words. Perceive, prize, pursue. Perceive, prize, pursue. We perceive things in our life as valuable or not valuable. But, but what we perceive as valuable, we begin to prize it. We begin to attach significance to it. We, we begin to desire it more and more to the point where once we perceive something is valuable, that it's going to bring pleasure, that it's going to bring satisfaction, that it's going to fill the hole that I feel because of X, Y, and Z, then we start to what? We start to pursue it. We start to go after it. And one of the greatest secrets to personal transformation is to understand that we... We, sh we, we, cannot, we cannot dismiss our desires. God made us as beings who have desires. We're always going to want something that is ultimate, that's going to satisfy us. And that is why, listen to this, this quote from Thomas Chalmers where he talks about the secret of transformation. I hope you won't miss this today. The secret of transformation is this. There is not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy. The heart's desire for one particular object can be conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. And this is, this is the statement. Listen. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, an old love, is through the expulsive power of a new one. So, so let me translate that. 
what Chalmers is saying, what the Bible is saying is this, is that we're all going to want something that can ultimately satisfy us. And the only way, listen, the only way you are going to get rid of and be healed from the substances and the pornography and the addiction to food and our addiction to our phones, which we are on seven hours a day, is to say these three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's more satisfying. He brings me more pleasure. He actually never lets me down. With, with Jesus, there's not a high and then a low and then a pit. It's always a high with him as I set him before us, which then leads to the fifth encouragement as we overcome addiction to never, ever settle for anything less than joy and life. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. It is full of joy. Of joy. I am rejoicing. My flesh is dwelling secure because God will not abandon me. He won't let me go to the place of death. He won't let my, 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 my life see corruption because what he is making known to me, the path of life in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what God wants for you. God made us and he saves us so that we can experience joy and life to the fullest. Jesus shows up and he starts teaching people about the kingdom of God and who he is as the king of the kingdom. Jesus. I saw it on a football game yesterday, and the, the quarterback was going to his lineman, and he was crowning him with, as, as the kings of whatever, the football field. And I just can't help but be bothered by that, even though if I was on the football field, I might be encouraging my teammates in the same way. But ultimately, there is one king. His name is Jesus. As Jesus is the king of his kingdom, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. Do, do you see that? Do you hear that? He perceived the treasure as more of a prize than everything else he had so that he went and pursued that treasure in a field. It was the expulsive power of a new affection. This says, God, you as the treasure of all things, you are so much more valuable. You are so much more satisfying than everything else that I can chase after in this life. What I want to invite you today is this, to see that Jesus can set us free from the chains of addiction because he is the treasure our hearts desire. Whatever you're facing, whatever your loved one is going through, listen, Jesus can set them free. Jesus can set you free. Jesus can set us free from any chain of any addiction because he is the treasure that our hearts desire and he is offering himself to us every moment of every day. 
So what I want to do is invite our, our music team up and, and our prayer team to come forward. And we're going to spend some time in prayer and in worship. And the invitation today is, is, is so simple. It's so simple. Wherever your heart gravitates toward a sinful pattern, yes, even an addiction, would you pray, God, help me to see you as the greatest treasure in my life? Perhaps you want to come forward and pray with our prayer team who's going to be down front. Maybe you want to intercede to pray for someone else in your life that is struggling with an addiction. Maybe you are here today and you say, I've never gone all in with Jesus. I've never truly given my life over to him to run to God for help through Jesus and his sacrificial death on a cross and his glorious resurrection from that empty tomb over 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to, to pray where you are, to sing, to come forward and receive prayer for yourself, for someone else to share, hey, I want to go all in with Jesus today. Today is my moment. Today is my day. He wants to be the treasure of your life. And he's offering you the gift of himself right here, right now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these moments, Lord. We thank you that with all the the fallenness of our heart and all of the, the crazy stuff that's in our world and just the pure evil that surrounds us, God, that that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you make yourself available to help us through, to overcome any struggle, any addiction that we face. And so, God, we, we ask that you would set hearts free today, God, set minds free today, that they would have the faith to believe, God, that you love them, that you are for them, and that you desire to help them through whatever it is they're facing. God, for the person that needs to say, I'm all in with Jesus today, give them the courage to take that step to say, God, I need you in my life. I commit to following you. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. Lead us as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.